Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, I saw that SQLite is being added to the Phoenix New project. So I think this is kind of cool because if you're doing little side projects or maybe something in NERVS, it's just so easy to use SQLite as your database. Mark and I earlier were even talking about like if you're just doing like even a little blog or something and you, you know, set up caching sufficiently, like you could get away with just something lighter and, and cheaper to do for the site. So I think this is this is a cool addition. Next up, Sean Moriarty. You should know him because he's worked on NX with Jose Valim. He's the creator of the new Axon Deep Learning Library. He said, with the release of Livebook, I've been porting all the Axon examples to Live Markdown to serve as interactive tutorials. So this is just kind of part of all of the excitement around the release of Livebook, which is really exciting. Uh, we did have some links to that in last week's news. There was a lot of news that was kind of happening around this whole space as you have a lot of excitement around NX and Axon and Livebook and kind of the integration of all these different technologies. So I didn't want to draw attention to all of these little things because that's a very specialized case. If you're interested in that space, there's a lot of excitement and interesting things happening there. Yeah, talking about Livebook, we also noticed that Live Dashboard support was added so you can actively inspect what's running behind your code in Livebook. So that's pretty neat. You know, there's a there's a number of advancements happening here, like Mark was saying. And so if you're interested, there's a lot of cool stuff happening. All right. Speaking of Livebook, maybe the last Livebook item here. Um, we saw that there are several folks out there that are making good use of Wojtek Mach's request library, REQ. It's finding good use because you can mix dot install it. And this uh, this request library is really easy to use. It handles decompression. It handles encoding, re-encoding things. So it's it's got that nice high-level API. So, hey, if you're looking for uh, a good place to play with other libraries too, it looks like spinning up Livebook locally and just mix install, get yourself a little IEX terminal there and see the nicely rendered uh, responses of all your evaluations. That seems like a pretty cool place to to have a playground. And pretty cool to see request being used out in the wild too. And next up was a little item. It was around the website LibHunt. What I thought was interesting with this one is you can use LibHunt to kind of filter by language and using Elixir, you can just filter down to see the trending ones. That's really interesting because I just in seeing like the top 50 trending libraries in Elixir, I was able to discover several that I just I didn't even know about. It's like, wow, that's really cool. So the index is updated weekly. And I just thought it was maybe a cool way to discover new libraries that you didn't already know about. Yeah, I'm a sucker for these kind of lists. They're fun to look at. It's fun to see what other people find valuable. I'm not saying that I'm going to go install a bunch of libraries, but it's fun <laughs> to see what other people are valuing and using. Yeah. It's like, hey, everybody, I have a pull request with 15 new cool libraries. <laughs> All right, last up. The big topic of the week has been Flock, F-L-O-C. I've been seeing this pop up everywhere. So if you haven't seen it, it's a technology created by Google in an attempt to replace cookie tracking. And Flock stands for Federated Learning of Cohorts. The short version is, is that this is a new approach to profiling users on the web while attempting to be more anonymous. The thing is, is that you have to, um, in order to opt out of it, it's like websites have to be able to, to opt out of tracking users, right? So it's like the, the website has to do it, not, not so much the user themselves. If you have a website and you want to opt out of your, your site, contributing to that profiling you know, stuff, you have to introduce a new HTTP header 
uh, and, and exclude yourself from that. How that affects us is that in Phoenix, right? Phoenix is our web server in a lot of cases. One of the core team developers over there, Michael Crum, identified how to do that in Phoenix. So just requires the response header. Uh, and uh, we've got a link to a tweet that shows a little bit more about that. There's also some exploration of adding this to Phoenix or plug, you know, by by default. I don't know. It's still being still being discussed, I think. Interesting development, though. Uh, I'm curious to see how that's going to uh, how that's going to evolve. You know, privacy is a big deal for a lot of folks. And uh, this is this is definitely a topic uh, introduced by Google, not really known for having fantastic privacy to get it into everyone's browsers, right? Chromium, Chrome, uh, that's that's uh, it's going to be a big deal. Uh, but there's a fair amount of pushback. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. Yeah, it's a heated topic and it's outside of Elixir, but it's tangential because, you know, we're in the web space. So it's something we'll just kind of keep an eye on. That's it for the news. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by our special guest. I'm going to let him pronounce his name properly. I tried it once and it didn't go so well. So in the Americanized (laughs) version, it looks like Michael Buskowitz. But I know your first name is pronounced Michal. So Michal, welcome to the show. Yeah, hello. My name's Michal Buskiewicz. It's the exact pronunciation and I'm very pleased to join you in the podcast today. Well, I'm excited for this discussion because I saw recently you did this blog post. You you identified like five key skills for junior developers coming to Elixir. And I thought that was a, a great kind of starting point for a, a fun discussion. And I'm glad you could come and join us with that and just kind of share some perspectives and thoughts on how we can be both as companies be inviting and, and supportive of new junior developers coming in. But also then there's the other perspectives of people who are familiar with programming. They're, they're more experienced developers, but they're new to Elixir. So I thought this would be a great fun discussion. But before we jump into that, Michal, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, like where you live and what kind of work you're doing? i software engineer based in Poznań, Poland, it's, uh, which is like in the middle between Warsaw and Berlin. So it's like at the heart of Europe, one could say. I've been a geek for almost all of my life and I just feel great doing what I love for a living and transferring my knowledge to others. Great. Well, I am curious about how you came to start using Elixir because it probably was not your first language. So you probably started with somewhere else. And But how did you come to Elixir? I've been using Elixir for like two or three years now after switching from, well, uh, surprisingly or not, Ruby on Rails as many other people have done. After that, I established uh, a company, uh, Curiosum, at which I'm currently CTO. We are a small but ambitious software house, which chose Elixir as our leading technology for crafting bespoke software for customers from all around the world in learning, insurance, healthcare, and a number of other industries. I always believed in knowledge sharing, supportive mentoring of people wanting to learn the trade. And I believe we are also looking to implement this in our company to everyone's benefit. Coming back to Elixir itself, um, since this is still a language that has to be kind of, I would say, sold and is not necessarily the first thing young programmers think of uh, when choosing their future like trade. We've also had to get rather smart and creative at recruitment. So I believe from an employer's and a lead developer's perspective, I've managed to figure out what it takes to be a good junior developer that would soon flourish in the professional career. Before we started recording, 
and just having some discussion before the show, you were talking about that, what you were just mentioning there, which is this perspective of the company. We want to help companies to not be afraid of hiring people who are junior developers and helping them come into Elixir as maybe their first real like deeply working language, maybe not absolute first, like share some of your thoughts there. What is it you're thinking of and how can we support those people? Yeah, I'm very glad to talk about that. I believe there's nowadays a trend of being increasingly harder to establish yourself in the job market as a junior developer and the era of rolling recruitment for juniorship positions in software development companies has ended years ago with the pandemic only making things worse. So while an experienced regular or senior developer is always what we and other companies will look for first, I thought it would be good to employ a philosophy of helping out juniors establish themselves as well, which is also very important for us as a company because while we are young in the market, it's a great opportunity for them to be at the very core alongside more experienced colleagues. So right from the beginning of the recruitment process, we, we employ strategies that kind of welcome the candidates to get better at what they would like to do. For example, engaging recruitment tasks and stuff like this. It's a good way to learn. And even if, if a task like that is, uh, well, turns out to be too hard for someone at their current level, it's a good incentive for them to continue working and maybe coming back to us or someone else in the future and uh, learn new things. So uh, I believe it's very important to encourage people to learn from the very earliest stage of uh, contacting us as a company through the stage of actually being in the first days of your work uh, and uh, learning to cooperate with your new colleagues and then also on the stage of collaborating with your first commercial client, which means, well, the demands are totally different and you have to adapt to an environment which is not ideal uh, in terms of being, well, comfortable for the developer you need to strike a balance between how things should be done and how things can be done. And this is what uh, everyone has had to learn themselves. So we believe that it's very important to give people a chance and also well, kind of encourage our clients to let developers who have only just left the juniorship phase to give them a chance and uh, make them more comfortable in doing their trade. So let's jump in and go through some of these ideas that you were kind of sharing in your blog post. I think it's a great starting off point. You mentioned like these five skills that you think people who are junior developers. So maybe we could just kind of first establish what's a junior developer. It's probably not someone who's brand new to programming, right? Is that like in the one to two year range of they've been working in? I don't know. How do you guys define what a junior programmer is? I believe um, the definition of a junior programmer is someone who's not really confident enough to say they've got a level of experience that allows them to jump into a commercial project right away after joining us. And uh, you're right that a junior programmer is not really someone who is totally new to programming at all. So uh, for people like that, we just try to convince them to do some courses uh, online uh, or stuff like this. Because to apply for a juniorship position, you, you have to at least show that you've already been through some of the stages of um, learning the trade. 
David and Cade, I'd also like to hear from you guys. When you think of a, a junior developer, what does that mean to you? Like for me, I think I can imagine someone coming straight out of a college where they've graduated maybe with a computer science or management information systems kind of degree. Like this is maybe their first full time job, but I think it goes beyond that. So, what do you guys see as a junior developer? To me, like a more specific definition of a, dev- a junior is like zero to three years of experience. I don't know if that's like standard. That's just kind of like what I think of in my brain. It's like they've been at it for somewhere between zero to three years. Then they start to get into the mid to senior range after that. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It, it all depends on the person, I think, uh, on the learner, because I think a lot of folks learn a lot of different ways. Some folks will be extremely confident, maybe too early, you know, but, but that confidence will come off like they have a lot of experience, but they don't actually, they haven't gone through the reps yet, you know, to really have that experience. They, they just read a lot, for example, which is a good thing to do. But practice, I think, is also a big part of that. So I don't think I could I could go to a person and assess, you know, that oh you're you're a junior developer. There's a lot of traits that go into it, you know. Like I I want to say that confidence is is part of it, but that's also that goes into personality traits too, which I don't think really says that you're a junior developer. I think that's just part of who you are. Like it's just somebody that has a hard time having confidence in, in things that you say, and that can apply to anything, you know, not not just development. And I don't want to tie it to time because some folks are fast learners. You know, they, they see it once and then they've got it forever, you know, but, and then some other folks need to see it three or four times or five times before they, they, they click. Right. So yeah, junior developers is a, is a real, is a, is a difficult thing for me to place on it onto anybody. So like, I'm not going to call anybody a junior developer. And that was especially important. I thought in agencies. Mm-hmm. So anyone that you're, you're contracting work out to as an agency, I would be very careful to ever call like, hey, this is a junior developer working on your project because <laughs> it sets up a lot of like unnecessary like and and maybe starts the conversation off with like, you know, the client's going to think, well, I'm paying you a lot of money. <laughs> I don't want a, a junior developer. I want I want a super mega supreme lord, you know, of programming. <laughs> um, and uh, and and so I I appreciate the thought of just calling everybody an engineer, you know, and, and a designer or just whatever, just flat titles internally, you know, you, you could have your own stages, but like to the agency, I, I feel like that distracts the conversation maybe some somewhat too much and depends on the client, right? Some, some of them will appreciate that more, more than others. So yeah, there, there's a very, there's a very long non-answer to your question of how, how do you define a junior developer? <laughs> well, I, I think it's a good perspective, just like the idea of how we are presenting our employees to externally, right? And I think that mm-hmm. it goes a long way just to, you know, not wanting to, dis- to disrespect them, saying they're somehow less than, right? Because that is not the case. But I do think within a company, there are just pay grades, right? Where they just have buckets of, oh, you fit in this bucket. And maybe that kind of falls more along with what Cade's saying, like zero to three years of experience, and you're going to be in this pay grade. We don't want, need to get too much into that side of things. But I guess our point is, there's there's not necessarily, at least that I know of, a solid definition of who a junior developer is. And I think there's also, you know, you could talk like a noob to Elixir could be a totally experienced person who's been developing for jo- in JavaScript or Ruby or Python for years, and they're coming new to Elixir. So there's like the noob aspect, but they're not a junior Elixir developer per se. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting point because we've had experience working with people who came from a totally different background and took on Elixir and um, 
well, we we didn't really employ them as junior developers because you can't really, as you said, you can't really call this person a junior developer because they might have years of experience in Java, Golang, and stuff like this. But it's really hard to strike a balance uh, between their ability in Elixir uh, itself and stuff like this and their seniority level whatsoever because uh, someone who's, well, calling themselves a senior developer generally might uh, might not really be comfortable in Elixir itself. And sometimes it's just good to part ways on amicable terms if someone's not really feeling comfortable in this situation and give a chance to someone young, uh, eager to learn Elixir from scratch, eager to shape shape their mind using Elixir's approaches to things and not really have the like overhead of approaches known from other languages, especially object-oriented, because, well, not every habit that people learn in their careers is good. And um, <laughs> giving programmers a chance to like shape their minds with uh, Elixir, Elixir's approaches is, is something which has a great value, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I did not start with Elixir, so I can't say I, I know this you know personally. But I do agree that even coming into Elixir years and years into my experience now, it definitely shapes the way that you think about problems. And I love it. And it's, it's taught me, you know, a lot. I can't say that I've, I've been doing like decades worth of work in other languages and picked up bad patterns. And I don't know what bad patterns I've picked up from Elixir, you know, at this point too. So I, I'm not going to go as far to say, you know, that if you started OO or you started procedural or whatever, you know, you're in it for a bad time, you know, you, you have to break your bad habits. It's more like, you know, as, as a developer that has been seasoned, you can now recognize those patterns and when to apply them. And some of those patterns are not to be applied in, in a different language, like, like that's immutable and functional and all that kind of stuff. I wish I could, I could know a little bit more about that as like, as a junior developer and what patterns like really helped me shape, uh, shape me to become a better programmer. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe we can get, get some perspective there. You're mentioning Elixir a lot. So I kind of, I kind of want to steer this into, into what, into your blog post a little bit more. You have some skills, you know, to develop. You, do you want to go through some of those skills? Uh, you, you mentioned five of them specifically. What what about those five skills do you think makes a developer a better developer? In a way, the skills that make a good Elixir developer, it can be argued that those skills are in a way the same as um, skills that shape a good developer in any contemporary programming language, but it comes in a very specific Elixir flavor. So maybe the first thing that we're going to talk about, and it's very specific to Elixir because of its nature, is um, having a good sense of concurrency and scale. It's at Elixir's core, and actually those are some of its main selling points. It's not something overlooked and clumsily implemented like in Python or Ruby or a number of other languages, and it's very important for juniors to be able to pick up the concept of Many things happening at the same time because it's gonna happen quite quickly that you have to deal with with this. Well, in some frameworks, you can just reason about the HTTP request response cycle in many cases, and it's enough to build quite massive apps used by 
thousands of users and so on. But in Elixir, it quickly becomes just one piece of the puzzle. So this is something often taught in universities, in distributed computing courses. But essentially, you need to understand that certain tasks depend on each other's finishing. And overall, uh, the concept of sharing data by passing messages is the way to go, unlike thread-based languages where you pass messages by sharing data. Well, it's also good to understand that reasoning about the actor model is actually much simpler than reasoning about the object-oriented model. It's just that functional programming overall is marketed as something more advanced and so on. So if I was to give junior developers some advice, it it would be like, you needn't be scared, folks. It's just something you can find natural in quite a little time. Yeah, I like that. Functional programming is not scary. It does have that, I'd say, academic roots. And with academia comes a lot of big, scary words and complicated naming and, you know, talking about things at a higher level. So it can be very intimidating. I remember, you know, just being like, oh, it's like, I don't understand that stuff, kind of being afraid of it. But it's, it's not the case. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And many people also associate functional programming with very orthodox, I would say, languages. Because many functional programming languages are more like strict in terms of the academic correctness of uh, things that happen, like maybe Elm, Haskell, uh, and many others. So when you talk to a diehard functional programming fan, you're going to maybe uh, hear that Elixir is not really a pure language in their terms and so on. Uh, but I think uh, at the same time, it's pretty close to being a sweet spot between the good things the functional nature has to offer and the, the ease of use because, well, it's if, if anyone gets to use the more orthodox languages, I, I would say it's no wonder that none of them has gained the popularity Elixir has right now. I just wanted to add to the idea of concurrency. I was talking to someone the other day about things that are different in Elixir. And one thing that popped up was things like gen server and gen stage. And I think they kind of go along with the same topic that you guys are talking about. And we were kind of discussing this earlier. And there's there's this thing that we kind of like termed the gen server click. It's like when it clicks in your brain up until it clicks, it was really confusing for me. Gen server and these kind of some of these OTP topics are a little different from other paradigms and other languages. And but once it clicked, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. And now I understand how to use it. Now I, now I kind of understand where to put it. And obviously, we've always heard of like there's pitfalls and they can definitely become bottlenecks if you're not using them correctly. But I feel like there's a lot of interesting concepts inside of OTP that if you're a junior developer would be good to at least become aware of and start looking into because it's going to take some time for them to click. But it's good to be aware of what of all the good things that OTP has to offer so that when a scenario comes up, you can call on that and be like, oh, I remember reading about something that does something similar. Then you can dive into it and figure it out. Yeah, I'd, I'd add in there uh, across all these points, it takes time to understand that stuff. And I think it also takes repetitions. For a long time, I would just read a lot of blog posts or a, a lot of koans or something like that. And and think that I understood these things. But when it came to actually apply those those ideas, it was a little bit more difficult to me. I was still really, really slow at it. 
And uh, that's half the reason why I have all these little side projects that I do. It's just opportunities to practice the things that you're learning about and try them out, see how they work in your brain as they, you know, as they're being figured out and being applied through your fingertips, you know, to your specific problems. Getting the repetition in place, I think, is really important. And, you know, boot camps are a good place for that, uh, code boot camps, that is. And I, I never hear that computer science degrees ever practically teach you anything. They teach you the ideals or the ideas, you know, the theories about them, but don't, you don't actually code in there. So I don't know what those courses are like. I don't have a p- computer science degree, but if you happen to be in one of those, I would uh, highly suggest that you start practicing some, <laughs> some of these things. If even if your, your courses aren't making you do it, I'd still, I'd still do it off to the side. I feel like that, that repetition is really, really important um, to develop. And, personality wise that that implies that you have to have the drive to do that you have to have the want to do that the curiosity to go chase that stuff it's very rare that it's always going to come to you and be handed to you like you you have to go get off your butt you know and go write the stuff come up with the idea that's been very important in in my life as any as you know as any beginner of of anything is is the 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 drive to seek to understand you know you, you have to have that drive if you don't you're you're just not going to you're not going to pick yourself up and and learn any of this stuff specific to elixir definitely agree with point 1 here the sense of concurrency and scale is remarkably different here in elixir and erlang with uh with otp so definitely something to to learn first um with with elixir though i don't think it's important to know that before you start coding. You can definitely get go a long way before you start understanding and clicking, you know, with, with OTP. Yeah, and you touched on a very interesting point about curiosity and trying stuff out because, well, it touches on one of the points from my article about the general adaptability to changing circumstances pressing buttons just for the sake of pressing them and so on mm-hmm. uh, maybe unless it's an atomic football but um otherwise it's <laughs> it's uh, it's good personally i've learned a lot by digging into library code and i still believe it's a great way to get to know things because well from my experience i can tell it's good to be skeptical about documentations and their completeness well, with Elixir's nature, the, the macros and stuff like that, it's a perfect fit for someone who's a tinkerer. For those people, I would recommend Chris McCord's book about metaprogramming in Elixir, where when they get to the point at which they're comfortable with the very basics and they feel ready to get ambitious about what they do. So it may be a good idea to go a step further. Mihao, I liked how you mentioned this idea of pushing a button just to see what happens. And it totally reminded me of this XKCD comic, which I love. And I'm going <laughs> to have a link to that in the show notes. But it's like, I'm just going to describe it for you. It's like a little panel thing. It's like, imagine a guy, a little person goes up and flips the switch and, and immediately gets struck by lightning. And just kind of sit there and like a normal person would say, I guess I shouldn't do that. And like a scientist or an engineer mindset would say, I wonder if that happens every time and they go to reach and do it again. (laughs) And like, I guess what I want to say is there is a different mindset for people who do well with engineering and programming and problem solving. Like David was talking about, you know, you kind of have to, and like you were talking about Mihao and is just this idea of tinkering and what, how does this work? And I want to understand this and dig a little deeper. And I wonder if that happens every time and I'll do it, do it again. 
but I think that's a really helpful mindset. And I think we just kind of have to also accept that programming is not necessarily for everyone. They might be capable of doing it. Everyone's capable of doing it, I think. Just not everyone has a good mindset for it and, and would enjoy it. That's an important aspect just for a junior is that they have to enjoy it. And I think one of those skills that we could add to a list is, is just like <laughs> learning how to debug something <laughs> because you're going to be doing that a lot. Just like, what is the mental process I go for breaking down a problem? Like, huh, this isn't working the way I thought it would. What do I do now? How do I figure out where it's broken? And I think that's one of the things you can evaluate with like a senior developer. They can come in and even if they're new to a language, new to Elixir, if they understand how to debug a problem in a production system, you know, that means they've had some of those repetitions. They've had some of that practice and they've felt some of that pain and they've developed shortcuts and mental models and ways of approaching that. But let's jump back into the next one. Uh, and one of the other points that you mentioned was HTTPS and server stuff. Maybe you could share a little bit more about what you're thinking about with this part from your blog. At least if you want to get into web programming, you can't really do a thing without being aware of how the request response cycle works in HTTP. You're not a junior developer yet if you can't distinguish a 4xx response from a 5xx one. And once you're familiar with the very basics, you can build upon it by learning about headers and their purposes. And uh, maybe if you're ambitious at this stage, uh, a thing or two about WebSockets, which are encapsulated by Phoenix Framework in a number of uh, cool ways, which is not really required at a very junior level, but uh, it's inevitable to get some knowledge about this later on. And about servers, I would say operating in the shell comfortably is a must. And while you don't have to be a ZSH or Bash Ninja, you should at least be comfortable enough to browse stuff, change permissions, grep, and stuff like this. And obviously, get knowledge on at least a basic level of of, uh, commenting, merging, branches, and so on is a must because no one really uses anything else nowadays. And from my well, my experience tells that universities are quite often lagging behind with regard to version control systems. And when I remember myself copying the code I wrote on some of the classes in USB drives a while ago, then I kind of cringe because, well, I can't believe this. Uh, it looked like this uh, in my life. If some of these things that Mihao is mentioning here, like about HTTP status codes and things like that, if they're new to you, check out his blog post. We'll have a link to that in the show notes because he has some great links to some other resources that help explain some of these things. So I think it's a great place to jump into these topics if they're new to you, especially. He's link also links to some blog posts, YouTube videos, and courses online. I appreciate your collection of knowledge there. Well, maybe something... Uh, which is also important for junior developers is database knowledge because contrary to some Rails bootcamp level courses I've seen, you can't really assume you can use any data access or object mapping library without SQL knowledge, at least to, well, up to the level of processing stuff in transactions. And with Elixir, the real difference to object relational mapping libraries used in Rails or other popular frameworks is that Ecto is, well, on a conceptual level, very close to SQL. So it can be argued that it's even easier to grasp when you've got SQL covered. And 
this also is something important for for people who come from very different backgrounds than pure like computing studies or stuff like this because many different industries uh, use SQL right now and, and there is a great chance that it's something you know and you might use it to your benefit when learning the Elixir trade. Yeah, that is a challenge when you think of people coming new to programming, just that there are a lot more things that they need to become aware of and databases being one of them. You know, just they might not have... Like if you've gone through a university style education, I know I was introduced to databases, SQL, and data processing and things like that at that level. So it gave me at least an introduction to it. But yeah, if you're coming new to like web development, yeah, you got to know databases. And that can be a little bit maybe intimidating. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of stuff going on in that domain. When I was first getting into programming, I thought it was fascinating how people could log into websites. And so one of my first experiments, once I got far enough along, was to hash and salt a password and compare your password to the saved hash. And that's kind of how I got into the beginnings of database work. And I thought it was fascinating to like put a page that had literally nothing. It just said the word secret on it and like block it behind a password gate, you know. And when I got that working, I was like, wow. I can do anything. <laughs> well, you feel the magic in the air when doing your first exercises. With regard to databases, I think it might be important to realize that this is a subject which sometimes distinguishes someone with an academic background from somebody who has just finished a bootcamp or, for, or a Udemy course or stuff like this. Because imagine, for example, a bug which uh, originates in a piece of code behaving incorrectly because of incorrect transaction isolation level or for reasons like that. And, well, I can't really see someone coming from a bootcamp dealing with this kind of issues while I think a university graduate with uh, a basic level of understanding of databases on an academic level could handle that without any problems. So... When you've got a team of developers, you also need to be smart about assigning tasks to them because someone who's really good at doing creative stuff but doesn't really, for example, hold an academic de degree in computing and does not possess deep understanding of databases can be well-suited for a number of tasks. And that's great, but this is a kind of task which probably needs someone with an uh, with a deeper understanding of the topic. topic. So everyone's uh, welcome to, to the profession, but uh, not, not it's not really that everyone's going to provide the same of value in places like this, I would say. I guess the point I would want to add is it's okay if you didn't come through the university background and get the whole database knowledge and training through school. Just know that that's something you'll probably have to pick up on your own as you go. And, and it is an important aspect of understanding performance characteristics for applications in production and things like that. So it is uh, something worth learning and dedicating some time to. So I, I, I appreciate that's one of the points that you identified in your blog post. The last point I want to make sure we get to was pipeline style data processing. So maybe you could kind of give an intro to what you're talking about here. This is something heavily promoted by Elixir as a functional programming languages because 
In layman terms, not on academic terms, functional programming is just about processing data as pipelines. It's for a good reason that Elixir heavily promotes the pipe operator and functions generally process one or more data structures into another data structure. Well, maybe if you feel comfortable thinking about programming, like maybe comparing it to a production line in a car factory, let's say, where a single machine takes one piece of of the product and um, produces another, then it's great because this is exactly how it works in Elixir. As I said, Elixir is still very lenient among functional languages with regard to its purity, because you can write procedurally looking code with many variable assignments and so on, which is often characteristic of junior Elixir devs coming from different backgrounds, which also confirms the fact that it's really very good to try learning the functional way of doing things from the beginning. It's equally as good to learn Elixir as your first language as learning this as something as a next step in your career, where maybe from coming from a different background. Yeah, I agree that the pipeline style data processing is something that is kind of like a, almost like a superpower, uh, but it's like a, a heavy focus in the Elixir community. And in your blog post, you mentioned some of the things like Broadway and GenStage as some of those things that kind of embody that as a defined process. So I just wanted to add a couple other items that I think are helpful when people are coming new to Elixir. And this is This applies to a junior developer who's kind of newer in their career. And then it's also to people who are maybe very experienced but coming new to Elixir. One of the things I I think is really valuable to learn up front is pattern matching. It's not unique to Elixir. It's also found in other functional programming languages as well. But it is such an incredible part of Elixir that you really need to understand it. And I just remember when I first started learning Elixir and just looking at Elixir code and not even understanding how to interpret the code I was looking at. You know, you're seeing these multiple function headers where they're declaring patterns in the function headers. And I'm not not even sure how to mentally process what's going on because like that doesn't look like any argument I've ever seen. So getting a handle on that. So I did want to mention, you know, if that's you and you're wanting to get a handle on pattern matching, check out, I have a free course on pattern matching that gives you hands-on time to play with it test-driven exercises to actually develop those repetitions and get that practice. And just go to thinkingelixir.com, pattern matching course. It's totally free. I would say that if I were to learn someone who's not really coming from any kind of competing background uh, in their life, if I were to teach that kind of person about coding in Elixir, maybe this kind of pattern matching would be the first thing I would teach them about functions because it really, it's really simple, I, w- I think, to get someone thinking this way. Like if this function receives this kind of input, then it produces this kind of output and so on. And only then come to teaching them about conditional uh, statements and stuff like that because, well, teaching someone who's a total dummy in terms of computing is probably a bit different than teaching someone who's a background in a different programming language. It's interesting to 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 come to this conclusion because I haven't really thought much about that um, because we don't really see many computing newcomers take on Elixir. One of the reasons for it is the fact that functional programming is not really something 
marketed as easy. But I think there is a good room to change that. And this might be an interesting idea to get more people into this. Well, Mihao, I've really enjoyed talking with you. But before we go, is there anything else you wanted to mention or talk about that we, you don't feel like we've covered? There's a number of other concepts that uh, junior developers might find good to learn about. For example, the concept of immutability of data when it comes to the language itself, which you're going to find in many functional languages. And it's often hard to grasp by many beginners, but very important to get familiar with. When it comes to the features of the frameworks you're going to use, uh, I think Phoenix Live View is something really worth looking at because, well, I've made a blog post series on it a while ago. And I kind of told you that it's a server-side React-like thing for Elixir, but at the same time, not really. And, uh, well, when we assign our candidates for junior developers tasks to do to prove themselves, and we give them the choice of uh, creating a plain old Phoenix app or a Live View app, surprisingly, many of them use Live View. So this tells a lot about the excitement it brings. And, um, well, to sum this up, don't hesitate to... Learn the language, even if it's the first programming language you, you will learn. Use Udemy courses, uh, read the tutorials on the curiosity.dev page. I could also recommend Prag Proc books coming from the creators of Elixir Language, Programming Phoenix 1.4 by Chris Bruce and Jose. Chris's book about metaprogramming and many other resources you can use to learn the language and become a master in the technology. Yep, there's a lot of great resources there. And as I mentioned before, you can check out his blog post where he has some links to some of these other resources. And I'll include some in the show notes as well. So thank you, Mikhail, for coming on and talking with us and sharing kind of some of this perspective because I do want to make sure that a lot of those people who are in our community who are coming new, kind of starting out in their career, or maybe those people who have been developers for a long time and they're coming new to our community... One of the things I love about the Elixir community is it's very welcoming. I think that's a great thing. But how we as companies can also make sure to not overlook, like you're talking about those junior developers, and give them a chance and help kind of train them up and share some resources and perspectives on how we can do that. Thank you very much. If I could say anything to potential junior developers that hear this, keep it up and learn stuff all the time. Well, if people want to get in touch with you or follow you online, where should they go to do that? I recommend the Curiosum blog to everyone where we periodically post Elixir, Phoenix, and other programming-related content, as well as stuff that touches more on the business side of things. It's good to subscribe that and read the content there. Well, thank you again. But that's all the time we have for today. So thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.